0: Welcome again to another edition of Lunch Hour with Renault. Renault, good to see you today. Great to be here. Really excited about today. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, a couple of weeks back, we touched on the concept of sorrow and suffering, and we talked about those uh, things that we tend to want to avoid on planet Earth. Yeah. How those become actually our companions on our journey uh, to following after Jesus. Yeah. yeah. I had a lot of really good conversations with people on the back end of that. Just mm-hmm. kind of how helpful that was. Uh, for them. So I'm grateful that we had that opportunity. Yeah. Um, And I mean, obviously the reason we stepped
1: into it is because this is a reality we encounter in regularity on this planet and in our lives. And so uh, it is just, it is a space. I don't care where you live, who you are, or what your economic status is, or what country or continent you live on.
0: Sorrow and suffering is going to be a part of your story. Yeah, absolutely. That That is part of the world we live in. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit uh, more kind of a, a, in, in follow-up to that today, so I'm excited for our conversation today. Before we launch into that, just want to welcome everybody joining us uh, in this conversation live via Facebook. We're glad that you are with us there. And also, if you're um, maybe listening to the podcast after the fact, I just want to say that we're so glad that we have yeah. a format like this that Absolutely. people can, um, can be able to benefit from. Whether they're driving to work or um, you know walking the dog or whatever they may be doing in life, um, that they can uh, listen into a gospel conversation. And so excited, yeah. excited, dude! To, to and that's do it. you
1: know that, that has been part of the intent and certainly is the hope of this space that uh, it affords us an opportunity—not just you and I, but us uh, as a, a community listening into this—to have a space that we can wrestle together about some issues that sometimes are hard to figure out or talk about. Or, yeah not to know what to say in situations, but also that those would then do two things. One, afford all of us a tool to pass around to friends when we encounter them in these situations. So that's why we love having the podcast yeah, as a super not shareable just, listen, this happens today and if you missed it, you missed it. Right. But then also a tool for you and I to listen to in regularity when we're coming back to this in our lives so that eventually it's not just something we point people to, but it's part of our clarity and understanding so that when we're in those personal conversations or encountering circumstances ourselves that some of these topics speak to, that we have a paradigm now to speak into or to encounter. Or to encounter. And then can come back to this as some of the layers of depth that maybe we need to. So I love that this is not just a, it happens on a Wednesday, it's over, but that it is available for future use.
0: You know, part of the way that we're hoping to make um, kind of season two of Lunch Hour with Renault uh, a little different from season one, and this is helpful for those of you who are listening in, um, is we really want to have this feel a lot like, hey, if there's something going on in your life or you have a question about life and faith, and you were to schedule a meeting with Renault um, and sit down and say, okay, I want to <coughs> sit with you at Oxum or sit with you at coffee and say, okay, Renault. here's what's going on in my life. Here's what's going on in my heart. Here's what's going on in my world. And I want to process this through with you because I want to know what the gospel says about yeah, that. Sure. Um, you know, if you do that, unfortunately, just because of the world that we live in and, and the busyness of life and all of that, typically it's going to be a couple of months, if not longer, before you're able to sit down with Renault and have that conversation um, just because there's a lot of people in our community. But Conversations like these are going to happen on a regular basis that can hopefully benefit the larger community and not just yep. be one-on-one conversations. Yep. And so um, if there is something that, that you would love for us to maybe have a conversation about on Lunch Hour with Renault, you can email lunchhour at thisismosaic.org. And we will um, allow that to be a part of the consideration of you know what it looks like for us to have conversations on this format, and it doesn't mean we'll get to every single question that that comes in, but we want to open that invitation up to you, that you can email us, lunch hour l u n c h h o u r, at thisismosaic.org. dot org, and uh, if you have questions that you'd love for us to kind of walk through, um, or yeah. situations in life, or things that are on your heart, whatever it may be, we would love to to utilize that. So to so it. today, let's launch into this conversation today. We just yeah. want to take a little time. And and maybe recap. What did we talk about last week for those who didn't catch it? Yeah. And then uh the follow-up of that. I'd love to. Yeah, and that. and the recap in
1: this particular case is very important because really today is an ongoing conversation from what we covered already. Um so it's it's not an, a new conversation. And and in many ways ties to last uh conversation because in our ongoing conversation uh The questions that the last conversation leave on the table is what we're entering into today. So last time, from a very, very basic standpoint, our clarity was that sorrow and suffering, which are a part of life, in uh, these spaces of circumstances that produce sorrow and suffering, are not simply things to be either avoided or endured— but things to be embraced because oftentimes it is sorrow and suffering that become the companions on our road to our greater clarity of the gospel, of gospel life on planet earth and of a gospel future in eternity. Mm. So sorrow and suffering, though they are in of themselves hard, we can see very differently when we realize they are a part of what leads us where we need to go. Mm. So that also then means, as we said last time, that sorrow and suffering don't end up being sorrow and suffering in our future. They end up, as we shared last time, becoming our grace and glory. That's kind of the biblical process of sorrow and suffering. What feels like sorrow and suffering now, because it is sorrow and suffering, becomes grace and glory in the future. Because in Revelation, it says all sorrow and suffering is no more. So are they eliminated? No, they just become a clarity of something other. We look back on our sorrow and suffering and realize they were. What brought this grace and glory that we now have? Yeah. So the question then that emerges out of that is, <clears throat> okay, so why would sorrow and suffering then be our companions? I mean, surely, surely God could have picked a different set of companionship for us, if you will, in this maturing know, comfort process. Comfort
0: and riches? Oh, I yeah. like
1: it. Oh, I like know. it. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that's, that's one question that emerges for me. Is like, okay, but why does it have to be? Why, why, or, or not even why does it have to be. Why is it that these are companions? I, I, I get that they are now, and I get that they become grace and glory, but how and, and why? And then also, if they are companions and not to be avoided or, or not to be um, uh, ignored or not to be endured— are they going to be companions every day, all the time? Like, should I actually like bring about sorrow and suffering? Should
0: you pursue those things? Mm -hmm.
1: That's a question. And then if not pursue them, if they are present, how should I pray then? Should I pray for God to take them away, or should I now like change my entire prayer structure really what is question, a prayer yeah. of faith? What is a prayer of healing? Do I come into prayer now and say well if i 'm sick i don 't want to pray for healing because faith and I mean because sorrow and suffering are companions, and I want to hang with them right. or do I still get to pray for that and then when I pray for that, what should I, should I expect and mm. when it happens the way I want or do- doesn 't happen the way I want, why not, and is that got to do with my prayer and a prayer of faith, and what is a prayer of faith yeah or does it, so, so I <laughs> want to kind
0: come, of, we are going, you know, quite a few questions yeah, that, this that stuff, surround surrounds this,
1: this stuff surrounds it. So what yeah. I want to do today is, as far as we are able with the time we have, is to start that journey and see how far we get. Sure. But kind of travel through first and foremost, why do we say these are good companions? In, in what, it, it, what, what paradigm does that exist in? Mm. And then what do we do with them when we encounter them in terms of prayer and faith and belief and and asking from God? So so that's kind of the journey I want to travel today. So mm. it, it will probably be helpful if you had not heard the conversation from last time, that you go back and podcast it after you've listened to this one because it will give you, oh, that's
0: what he was yeah. talking about. And if here. you really wanted to, if you, were, if you were on the podcast right now, you could pause. Yep. You go listen to the last one and then jump back in yep. in our discussion that today. That would not be a bad idea just because yeah. a, a lot kind of ties back to understanding that paradigm. But if you're with us live,
1: it's cool. <sighs> and Keep yeah, it with today us. is in of itself. It's like watching a Marvel movie. You can watch it without having seen the others. You will get it. It'll be a good movie, but you might miss some stuff.
0: Yeah, it probably won't have all the special effects of a Marvel movie, but no, hopefully not it'll be, in that way. just as interesting. Only in, in, in terms of <laughs> you can watch it alone. So, um, you know, when when we think about sorrow and suffering, we think about those as as companions and we think about that being um, grace and glory as in terms of a result after yeah. journeying through yeah. uh, this planet. Can you can you walk us through maybe, um, you know, just revisiting uh, some of the, the, the thoughts that we had um, with that and why why that became such a paradigm shift? Uh, for you, yeah. as you read Heinz feet on high places, I mean, kind of. Yep. Yeah, l- let's let's recap that just a little bit. Um, yeah, and perhaps perhaps more than recap it. Um,
1: let me let me walk us into in in my mind sort of a picture that mm. has been very helpful for me yeah. in understanding in the grand scheme of eternity and spiritual places. Uh, understanding in a very tangible, right here, temporal space, what we mean when we say suffering and sorrow can be our friends and and often are our friends, right? Mm. So um, over the last couple of weeks as I've been processing this, uh, another typical experience that many of us have on this planet that I've had far more often than I would like because this planet is what it is, is the journey of encountering a disease of some kind that has the word terminal as part of its potential attachment. So cancer comes to mind for me. Mm-hmm. Not all cancers are terminal, or end up terminal, but some are. So the word cancer automatically holds in its hands this concept. It could, it could be terminal, right? So right. those kinds of diseases, not a cold,
0: right. the, the big boys, right? right. Which, is, so, which, is which is sorrowful to hear oh, and very, to experience very difficult, and right. many times is associated yeah. with so suffering. I'm going to paint two pictures for you. Yeah. And, and,
1: and I want to ask you the question, when I paint these two pictures, which one would you pick to have as your own if you had the choice. Okay. Okay. So picture one, we're going to start here. You're in your early 40s. Okay? Not too far away. Not too far away. Well, yeah. for you. Yeah. A little a little past where I'm at. But you're in your early 40s and you start experiencing some physical trouble. So pain um, things aren't working as well as they are. That y- you start really struggling. Like your normal everyday life of enjoying life starts diminishing because you have pain. So you. St- so what do you do with with pain? You, st- eventually, it becomes significant enough that you go and see a specialist, a doctor, whatever. So they start doing tests, and they can't quite figure out what's going on. And they do. They run more tests, and they do more stuff, and then you you continue to have pain. So they give you some uh, medications, and they try different things to, to to diminish your discomfort, your pain, your suffering. Yeah. Uh, but it continues to increase, so they keep doing more tests. And then at a certain point within the first six months to a year of doing those tests, they run into the tests where they discover, hidden behind all this pain, cancer. Mm-hmm. So that's a hard moment, man. You come in an office, it's already been months of pain and struggle. Your friends and family are like, man, we feel so bad for you. And then you, you find out you have cancer. So now that you get the diagnosis, now there's the emotional pain of the diagnosis and the clarity. It's stage two, moving to stage three. It's fairly aggressive. That's where the pain's coming. That's why you had all these things happening to your body. So now, now the hard discussion of, okay, we've discovered it's cancer. You still have all these symptoms that are your symptoms. So we're going to have to continue to kind of deal with those. But now we have to deal with the cancer itself. Now that's hard work. So now there's surgeries involved. And maybe in this particular case, The cancer is the type that we may look at having to lose a limb or a leg. So there's some big things coming into play, decisions to be made that aren't going to be easy and lead to a more challenging future. There's also chemo that's involved now and radiation. So you have all those talks about how hard those are going to be and how difficult they are. So now you go into that journey of the healing process of this cancer. And that makes the first pain journey seem like a cakewalk, right? Right. So now it's losing the hair and it's feeling nauseous and it's all that for not days, but months, sometimes years at a time. The surgeries, maybe they remove that leg. So so let's talk about a a a harsh journey, right? Then you get to your late 40s. You're now 47. This all started at 41, right? You're six, seven years in and you have that moment in the office. I think we've done it. I mean, you're cancer free. You don't have a leg. Uh, but you're cancer-free, your hair's grown back, you, your kids are now late teens, uh, maybe early 20s, and you have a life ahead of you of 20, 30 years of watching them get married and grow old and grandkids and all that. And now, you still have some recovery work to do, some therapy on learning to walk properly. And, and, and honestly, for the rest of your life, there will still be some residual reality to this whole entire journey.
0: Yeah. But- The loss of a limb is major. You live. And-
1: yeah, you have all, life. all of that. Okay, you're alive. Scenario okay. one. All right. Okay, a decade of sorrow and suffering and pain and struggle and some because residual. of a disease yeah. and residual. Scenario two, you're 41, okay? You're, you're a runner. You're healthy. You do well. You also have those kids that are preteen now and um, you have no suffering or sorrow. You have no symptoms. Everything is fine. So between 41 and 47, you go on with your life as usual. You enjoy your children. You're not going through all the hospital visits and the chemo. They don't have to watch you suffer, your wife or husband, etc. You do your thing. You go to work. So I'm at 45 years old. This person's been at this now for four and a half years. They've lost work. They've done all that. We look at this person and we feel deep sadness for them and burden toward them. This person lost nothing, zero. Their life is essentially ideal, comfort, comfortable and suffering free. At 48, this person is in the final stages of that long and crazy journey, hoping that it'll take care of the cancer. At 49, they get the, you're cancer free. This person at 48 starts developing slight stomach problems, nothing that stops you from working or that's even suffering, just oddities. The digestive system isn't working quite as well. So after a couple months of that, they're like, you know, I should probably just go get this taken care of. mean, this is kind of dumb. It's inconvenient. I'm not even, I haven't even told anyone other than my family because it's just that small. Mm -hmm. They go in, they do some tests. Stage four colon cancer. Last, last few months. I mean, there's, there's zero prognosis here that saves you. And four months later, you're dead. So you're 49 and you die. One of my dear friends has this story and had this story. That was a number of years ago. So you are dead. Your teenage children or early 20s children have not seen you suffer for 10 years. They just watched you for three months go from perfectly healthy to dead. And their marriages, grandchildren, all that, mess out. You do not have life. Okay. At 47, you don't know that this is the diagnosis yet. For these whole 10 years, that cancer has been growing inside of this person but it's no, it's, there's no symptoms. At 47, I say to you, which person would you rather be? Which do you pick? You pick this one. You're like sorrow and suffering and struggle and craziness and heart, heartache. I would never pick this story, yeah. ever. Yeah. Avoid it, pray against it, ask God, whatever. I'd pick this story. At 47. At 47. Right. Unless you knew yeah. one thing, yeah. that the same disease started in both these people at forty the same disease, cancer. But this one produced symptoms Mm. enough Mm. that it forced a journey to discover a disease Mm. that brought about a hard and difficult journey of healing that included more sorrow and suffering, Mm. but brought about life. This one, no sorrow, no suffering, no symptoms.
0: Just going along.
1: Just dead. Now, if at 55 this person's been dead for six years, and this person is at one of their kids' weddings, and they're great now. They walk fine now with their prosthetic leg. Essentially, they've got a great job. Life goes on, all that. Would you say sorrow and suffering was a companion this person could have used? Absolutely. And that this person was grateful to have? Yes. Now, here's our trouble. When it comes to sin, we still see sin as primarily a behavioral problem. Mm -hmm. We talk about the symptoms, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That sin causes selfishness and pride and this, and then evil and so on. So we have good people and we have bad people, right? But the trouble is that the Bible doesn't describe sin as a behavioral problem. It describes sin as a cancer that came into the human story at a certain point, Adam and Eve, and it infected the human story, the the creation story, right? And it is producing death like cancer does. And undealt with, its end will be inevitably, end of story, death. But it does have symptoms. Its symptoms are pride and selfishness and evil and and all these things. And so when those symptoms play out in society or even in my individuality, if they play out well, they're very destructive. And if they don't play out at all, you could get away with being a really good person or a really good society. The irony is when we are good society, good people, we have nothing that drives us to examine what is going on inside. And we putz along all day long and then boom, one day we're dead and we realize, well, hold on. I was, I didn't have any symptoms because that's what my friend said when 48 came by. And they're like, you have stage four colon cancer. He's like, that's not possible. I had no symptoms. And they're like, sometimes that happens. I'm so sorry. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We go, well, hold on. I was... I I I had no symptoms. Like, yeah, but the disease was the same in both people, the good and the bad in terms of behavior, right? So actually, when the symptoms of sin play out in our stories or around us to the point where we go, this is crazy, what's going on? And it leads us to a journey to self-examination and examination of the gospel and the real redemptive all that, it actually becomes a great part of our grace and glory, Mm -hmm. and our sorrow and suffering, which both leads us to examine whether there's something wrong. And then in our redemption, we come to know Jesus that solves the sin problem. So our eternal life is established. But then there is an ongoing journey stuck in a body of death on a planet of death. So just like once you've solved the cancer and you know you have cancer and you're working on the healing, there's physical therapy and there's chemo and there's other stuff that's preventive that we still struggle through some version yeah, of Once suffering. you discover,
0: hey, I am a sinner who is in need yes. of a savior, in need of redemption. Now there's a journey of saying, Jesus, make me more like you. Sanctification. Sanctification.
1: And so we will experience both pre and post coming to Jesus and having our sin problem solved a certain level of struggle because of what that sin problem affects before and has affected residually post, right? Wow. You with me? Yeah. But if you're the person here that has zero symptoms, or you've minimized them, ignored them, put them away. They're a little stomachache. No big deal, right? Oftentimes, lurking is still the same disease. Mm. So all that to say, Jesus, who is our Savior, does he sometimes on this planet affect direct things to comfort us or to minimize the symptoms? Yes, he does. Yeah, he heals absolutely. things. He does things. But that is not his primary Good work as a good physician, right? No, we would say of no doctor, they're a great doctor because they ignored the cancer, but they dealt with the symptoms. Mm-hmm. We actually say, how did they miss it, mm-hmm. right? A good doctor says, if I have to cause or allow some things to continue to finish the work of healing, I'm going to let it. But where I'm able to bomb some things, obviously I will, I, I want you as comfortable as possible. Yeah. But comfort is not always not possible. Pri- and
0: that's not the in, primary goal. And it's not the right. primary goal.
1: So chemo does not produce comfort, comfort. No way. But it does produce healing in some cases. Yeah, so, totally. you, you with me there? Yeah. So all that to say, it's, it's a lot, but it, is, it lays the premise for all this. I want this story where my eternal life is, is the win, not my temporal comfort. Right. And if there's some temporal comfort that can be affected while I'm on that journey, I'll take it. I'm going right. to ask for it from the doctor. Is there any way that we can make the chemo not feel like chemo? Well, we can do a couple things that will help. But I mean, chemo is chemo, right? Yeah. But I'm not going to go, I don't want to do any of it because I want to die. So I want to say, God, I want to learn to experience planet Earth, my temporal space, the 10 year planet Earth. Our whole life journey is actually the decade from 40 to 50 for eternal life. You with me? I want to experience that with the clarity of saying, God, what needs to occur, needs to occur. But I'm going to take whatever comes as part of the journey of my eternal healing and life. Now, one last piece of the puzzle, and then we can go from there. So then the next question that emerged for me always was, well, then why doesn't God just take care of the cancer? I mean, he's a supernatural God. Why didn't He just take, what, take care of sin? So now we're having this whole conversation about sin in the world, and it's there, and he's got he's to bring us to eternal life, and sorrow and suffering. Why doesn't he just snap his fingers, get rid of the cancer? Well, that becomes a theological reality that is mind-blowing. In the book of Romans in chapter 3, there's this beautiful clarity that says we've all sinned, we mm-hmm. all fall short. And it's this clarity that Paul out of Romans 1 and 2 is saying, This disease has infected all of of you and you are now the disease. In other words, think of a little town that has a terrible disease and everyone's caught it. And if the town gets out into the world, the whole world dies of this disease. What do you do to the town? Well, you, you have to, you have to quarantine it. And if you can't solve the disease, the hard decision becomes you kill, you kill the people in the town. Because they are the disease. This just got very extreme on Lunch Hour with Renaud. Yeah, but but I'm saying like, how do you make, I mean, there's movies about this and there's real life scenarios about this. How do you make that decision? These people are going to die because they are not just carriers of the disease. They are the disease now insofar as they carry it and it's going to birth death. Okay, Mm -hmm. the Bible describes us as humans before Jesus redeems us, not just as carriers of a disease called sin, but children of wrath. We are infected to such an extent that we are equally sin. Now, our symptoms, remember we talked about this. For some people, the symptoms are high. They behave very badly. For some people, the symptoms are very low. They're in a society that has created all sorts of systems to keep the the symptoms low. I mean, that is the American way. I love it. I love that we have a police force and other things that keep our symptoms low. Uh, But it's still symptomatic, right? Here's the trouble. Romans chapter three says that God has a patient forbearance towards sin and its work for the sake of rescuing his people. So think about this. If God decided in 1837, I'm done with sin. I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm snapping my fingers. Sin's going away. Every unredeemed human born and unborn yet to come would have to be destroyed with sin. That's me. That's you. That's all of us watching that know Jesus. 1847, we didn't know Jesus yet. We were still unborn, but Remember, he says, before the foundations of time, our story had begun. So that we were unborn, our future existence, we would be unredeemed. Okay, what if it was in 1976? So I was born in 1973, 1976, I was three. I don't know that I had fully understood and come to Jesus yet, right? What if he did it then? That's it, Uh, or the Holocaust, that's it, I'm done, I'm done. And he wipes it off the planet. We have to understand that he doesn't take sin out of all the people that have sin and they're fine and sin is dead. We are sin, so we are destroyed. We are in the path of God's justice or his wrath. Okay, so the fact that I'm here today and I know Jesus is because of his patient forbearance with sin for the last 2000 years. What kind of a God who hates sin allows it to continue to do a certain work on planet earth and in creation for the sake of, of however many centuries or thousands of years he has to endure it to finish his work of saving his people and finishing his story. And what does he say in Revelation will happen when he's done with that work? Snap his fingers and sin is gone. Mm -hmm. It's, It's coming, folks. But I don't mind so much that I have to endure some suffering for the sake of allowing sin to continue to do its stupid work on the stupid planet that while I'm suffering, God's redemption of suffering is not that he will take it away from me all the time. He will sometimes ease it, but that he will actually use it for my both clarity for salvation mm. and my ongoing sanctification after salvation, my companions. Yeah. But the reason it's even here is because he is patiently enduring sin so that he can see all of his people rescued before he destroys sin
0: and doesn't destroy them. So sin is not our companion. Sin is not our sin companion. Is the, sin is the enemy. It is the enemy. But this, but what sin produces, which is damage, destruction, death, right? Um, the sorrow and the suffering that, that a sinful planet produces, God is able to redeem that and to yes. use that to complete the work that he started in us when That's he right. saved us in That's the first right. place. That's right. So that sin... Doesn't do its work in us and lead us to the actual death that that's sin right. Our eternal always eternal death, both leads temporal and eternal. So
1: it changes its future
0: yeah.
1: um, work from redeeming. That's why he said, "I've pulled the sting of death out of sin." That's what I, I've essentially with salvation, yeah. which is salvation, right. It's salvation. Okay, yeah. so I now live in this space where I'm like, and Paul said it: if I endure greater mm-hmm. suffering for your sake, so that I might endure a greater resurrection, bring it on. What, what, what Paul was saying there is, I understand that there will be some suffering I will endure for the sake of the great resurrection of others and for the sake of my greater healing. And I will take that if that's what the suffering produces. Mm. Suffering in of itself and sorrow in of itself is not good because mm. it gets eliminated in the future. Mm. But it is currently a good friend because it reveals bigger and deeper things. And its presence doesn't reveal God's lack of power or God's lack of goodness. It actually reveals God's extraordinary forbearance and patience on behalf of the human race. And so when people always say, how can a good God uh, allow bad things? I'm like, actually, the answer is a truly good God, knowing what sin actually is and how deeply it's infected this, this world and us, his very forbearance is what demonstrates his goodness. Yeah, right, and his exactly. redemption of sorrow and suffering into grace and glory reveals his greater goodness. And his using that to reveal our need for salvation reveals his greater goodness. And so when I'm done sor- with sorrow and suffering, I get to say, that was hard and that was difficult and that was not okay. But what it produced in a redemptive hand, the, the hands of a redemptive God was and is extraordinary. Hmm. This is the theological space that I have to walk into before I even begin to pray.
0: Wow. It makes me think about, you know, what what Paul talks about in the sufferings that he experienced are for the good of the gospel's forward movement on planet Earth. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, we talk <coughs> about this all the time at Mosaic that um, our... Uh, privilege is to participate in what God is doing on this planet. And what that means is is that we have to live on this planet of sin and death. It may not be sin that we have committed. It may be the result of being in a fallen world that leads us to sorrow and suffering. But that sorrow and suffering that we participate in aids us in, in allowing our story, this poema that God is doing in us, To be part of the good works that He's prepared in us, you know, in advance for us to do. That we get to, though we suffer, though we have sorrow, that we get to glory and boast in the cross. In the midst of that, like Paul talks about that all the time. Like I, I am here. I've, you know, here's my rap sheet. I've been shipwrecked, beaten, bruised. You know, all of the things that I had to go through, and then I've got the pressure of the church, right? All of this that Paul says, but I do it for the sake of the gospel moving forward. And so. It is both that God is going to mature and complete us so that we would not experience the full weight of sin's consequence yep. in us, yep. but it is also so that we can participate in the redemption of others. Yep. That's right. Um, and how many times have we seen this in the 17 years that Mosaic has been yep. a church where people have walked through things like cancer yep. and ended up dying as yep. a result, um, and and their story um, just shouts the gospel, yep. proclaims the gospel, declares the gospel. And then people having cancer and not
1: dying and their story proclaims the gospel and shouts the gospel because you can live in a life where the ultimate end of both of those stories isn't the point. Right. It is that either end shouts the gospel and proclaims the gospel. And at
0: the very end of both of those stories. Nobody is, lives past 120. Well, even, yeah. even Lazarus, who yeah. Jesus allows to die. Right. Martha, I think it's Martha comes to him and she's mad. Yeah. And she says, Jesus, why don't you get here sooner? If you had gotten here sooner, you could have healed Lazarus. We know you have the power to do it. You could have healed him. We would have avoided this whole story. And, you know, Jesus, of course, knows the bigger picture. He raises Lazarus from the dead. And and yet I was just hanging out with him the other day, actually. All right. Because exactly. Because he's 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 alive on planet Earth. No, no. He died again. He's, you know, and it's. It's because the story is not only about our temporary life. It is That's about right. the bigger, greater picture and the glory of God. That's right. That's and right. so 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 then so then that does beg the question and it kinda of brings us to where our conversation needs to go today. Yes. So so when we are in the midst of suffering, when we experience sorrow, and you talked about lament yep. before, yep. of just coming to God and saying, God, this is hard. Yes. Please help me. Please yes. walk with me. I am in yes. the valley of the shadow of death. Please yes. walk with me through it. So there's there is that piece, and we already, again, go back if you didn't listen to yes. the last one and listen to the role of lament in our lives and the value of that. But let's talk about how many times Jesus did come and alleviate people's specific needs, yep. right? You, you know, whether it was a leper that needed to be cleansed or a man with a shriveled hand, where he says, yep. "Jesus, if you're willing." Will you heal me? And Jesus says, I'm willing to be healed. Or the paralytic that Jesus heals, and he says, is it harder to heal this guy or to say your sins are forgiven? But so the Son of Man, uh, so that you will know the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, I also healed this paralyzed man. Or what John says, that all of these things that Jesus did (coughs) would be so that we would know that Jesus was truly the Messiah. So we have these stories over and over again of Jesus healing people. And then after jesus dies and resurrects you see the apostles walking around and people i mean peter's shadow is yeah. healing people yeah. in the new testament or we we pray for people um you know every week after gatherings the elders and yeah. the, and the, the leaders of the church are here and we're praying for people and we're boldly i mean i've been in those prayer circles with you Renaud, where i've heard you say god i am i am boldly and unashamedly asking you that you will heal this person yeah. now yeah. Um, and there have been times where we've seen God move and there have been times where we have questioned whether or not God has, has done anything totally. uh, in response to our prayers. Um, how do we process through all that? How do we begin to become uh, followers of Jesus who recognize, yes, sorrow and suffering can be my companion. But good God, do I really want to walk through it right yep. now yep. in this way? God, I need some help. I need some relief. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, as much as I see the value of sorrow and suffering, if my child— you know, has cancer, I'm praying to God for healing. Right. So, so how do you process through all of that? And there's people who will say like so many different, there's so many bad theologies that surround this. So like, how do we speak into that? Yeah. Uh, and yes i i mean you have certainly asked enough questions
1: to do 27 of these so <laughs> that works out really well thank you uh, so yeah, much well, it's 12:36 um, yeah but 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 i do think for for today's purposes we can answer much of that in sort of a a, a broad scope sure. of understanding some of the the baseline theological misses that occur and in some of the i think good spaces we can land and and then there's some wrestle beyond that so uh, first and foremost let's let's just begin here um i, I think Looking back into the spaces of um, the time that Jesus was on the planet and the apostles were on the planet, um, we are a people that tend to look for formulas, uh, a small pattern within a larger pattern. And if we can find the small pattern, we make that the larger pattern, produce right? It, right. So, so we're always asking if there's a story that occurred in Scripture anywhere, one story, any one particular one, then that story has the power to create an entire principle. And sometimes that is true, but oftentimes that's not the beauty of the stories in scripture throughout the Old and New Testament is that they are varied, Uh, that more often than not, almost always, in fact, you can encounter one story that uh, something happens a particular way, and then another story that the same end result happens, but it happens a totally different different way. way. And what we tend to do is we find the one we like the best that's going to say what we want, and then we go and make that a a, a formula. So in in the spaces of praying by faith or f- faith praying and faith healing. We, we do this all the time. So there are a couple of uh, incidences in scripture where Jesus specifically commended somebody for their faith in a moment that he healed them and he tied it to the healing. So he, the
0: woman with the issue of blood, she that, that comes and an she example wrestles that, through the crowd, she touches
1: Jesus. The centurion he, who had great faith and he said, his son is healed because I've never seen such great faith in Israel. Right. There's these, there's these spaces where Jesus would say, I just want you to know that part of what made this healing happen was, was your faith. Right. So there's no confusing that that was what Jesus was intending to describe. And it wasn't like he was like, he's saying by your faith, you're healed because of your faith, but he didn't mean that. So I, you know, on the one hand, there is the camp that says, look, um, it has nothing to do with our faith in terms of healing. And so, because then when we don't see healing, then the, if it's our faith that does or doesn't do it, then the blame is on us. So to avoid that, they go, it's got nothing to do with our faith. And I think I would have probably leaned into that camp before, but I've recognized some far more beautiful things now than I ever have before that doesn't leave me there. So Jesus does at times say, because of your faith, partly in because of your faith, you're healed. Now, um, I will say this just for clarity. In each of those cases, the, the specific story demonstrates in its context that what they had faith in is who Jesus was.
0: That not their faith, not in, in the result no, of their healing.
1: And not only in the result of their healing, but in their formula. It mm-hmm. wasn't like they said, if I do X, Y, and Z, then this I will solicit from this genie what I want. Yeah. And my faith was in my process. My faith was in my faith. Right. My faith was <laughs> in my prayer. My faith was... In, it was Jesus saying, your faith in who you knew I was and know I am demonstrates something. So whether it was the centurion who's like, how would you even as a centurion know who I am? But mm-hmm. you do. You basically said, I know who you are. And if I ask you to heal my son, you have all perfect power You're to the, do that. You've got the authority. For a Roman, that was a big deal. This woman touching the... the, the Titsi, hem his, if you will, the yeah. hem, mm-hmm. th- There was actually lots of uh, uh, clarity that the prophecy that the Messiah would carry healing in the hems of it. So she touches that not because she's like she's like if I touch that, he is the Messiah, right. and if he is the Messiah, then that prophecy means I could. Her belief and faith was in this person and who he was. Now, having said that, though she believed, he believed, others believed. The trouble is that there's also a number of healings that Jesus does where literally the person doesn't know who the heck he is.
0: Lazarus, like, for example.
1: Well, Lazarus, Lazarus was did, dead. He was yeah, dead yeah. That was that was helpful. Right. But the 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 guy that was lame and had to be put into the well, or the blind man on the side on the side. There's there's a m- multiple occasions in Scripture, which again we can go through. Sure. but But you can find them. They're super simple. Where Jesus just did a healing, and literally they came to faith in Jesus as Messiah because he healed them. Not they believed in him as Messiah, so he healed them. So there's those where he sure. just does something, and their faith had zero to the do way, with it the demon because they,
0: the demon possessed man yeah, is a great example they didn't have yeah. faith right so right there,
1: there's examples of that uh then there's examples where jesus does something with someone that knew who he was but he doesn't commend them for their faith in particular in that scenario so there's then there's the, wait for it it gets <laughs> better so many then there's a bunch of them where a person is sick that you're absolutely like okay if there's anyone on the planet that jesus is definitely going to heal or should have the power to heal or should give the power to heal someone. This is that person. So Paul uh, and and some of his disciples that he'd like, when he was talking to Timothy and Timothy had all those stomach problems and and he's like, look, dude, drink drink some wine and and have some of this. And I mean, Paul could um, surely, surely be healed, done. Paul had faith. I'm just saying probably a little more faith than most of the people we would say need faith for healing. So there's also many cases where Jesus either didn't heal people in a town or didn't heal his own disciples, Paul carried a thorn that we, as best we can tell, ties to some physical ailment that he struggled with. Um, There are multiple stories of the disciples with their disciples in these spaces. So there are places Mm -hmm. where God chose not to heal the very people that were writing scripture, right? Yeah. So there's examples of Jesus not healing, faithful people, full of faith. Mm -hmm. There's examples of Jesus commending people for their faith because it it was part of what made the healing happen. Right. And there are examples of people of God healing people that had no faith, or didn't demonstrate the kind of faith.
0: So, right. D. All of the above. Yes. Right. Which is the formula?
1: All of them. So, what does that mean for us? What Jesus. was Jesus? What was Jesus's <laughs> What was Jesus demonstrating? So, let's go back to my understanding of life in general. Now, mm-hmm. in the gospel, what we discover is that we are recipients of God's grace that gives us eternal life. And so it's rescued our soul, as we always say, and redeemed our future. And that would be enough. Wow. That's all that actually matters. So all this other talk we're having, if none of it ever comes to fruition, we're never comfortable, never healed, but we get eternal life forever and ever. And our souls are made from dead to alive. Enough. Enough done. Right? Yeah. But God... In addition to that, and his goodness says, I will, in the meantime, also in your story on this planet, do two things. I will bring some comfort and bring some beauty and bring some healing at times. And I will redeem all of it for this grander story, even if it's not realized here. But also, I'm going to restore your purpose. And your purpose is that you are a participant in both knowing me and making me known, right? So we get to participate in our own sanctification, as we always say, our own maturing journey, though he promises that he will finish the work in us. But we also get to participate in the journey of others, Mm -hmm. him redeeming other things, both internally in ourselves, our sanctification and externally in the world. Okay. okay, so we typically think of our participation in redemption as we go and do something for God. I go and I deal with some human trafficking issues and I do something about it or I feed a, a hungry, which is part of it. Right, That is how I participate. I go into unredeemed spaces and I do something about them. Right, But prayer affords us a whole new level of participation with God's redemptive plan. In the same way that when I go into an environment, and sometimes what I hope is produced with my work isn't produced, but I have to trust God that I've participated and He's the producer. When I enter into prayer, I am now participating with God in redeeming something that I am not present in. So when I pray for someone who's sick, or pray for someone who's struggling, or pray for a scenario or a circumstance on someone's behalf, I am participating with God so that if that scenario were to turn out the way I'm praying, did I participate in it? Yes, because I prayed. And I can say, yeah. so we're back at the waffle story, which, yep. I, I, you know, if it's in one of our sessions. I'm sure maybe even last week. I don't know. I, I forget. But anyways, it's, it's, uh,
0: it's around. It's around. The but waffle th- story The point is, is,
1: I'm in the kitchen. I'm helping cook up the waffles. When they end up on the table, they were going to end up on the table one way or the other the way they were. But I either participated or I didn't. And that's where the difference comes in. Well done. You were part of it. Right. Not well done. You did it right. Just... You are in the kitchen with me. Prayer allows us in the kitchen in a whole new scenario. So when I pray, I pray boldly for the waffle of redemption on the table. I don't then make excuses like, only if it's your will, because I already know that. Obviously, it's only if it's God's will. What I do do is internally, I pray, God, in this scenario right now, I'm in front of this person. This is their suffering. This is their struggle. This is their circumstance. Like, I'm a three-year-old on planet Earth. Yeah, I'm gonna ask for the lollipop, man. I mean, w- right, why right. would what three-year-old goes, mom, dad? I don't want a lollipop today because I know it's not so good for me, and I want some really healthy veggies. Now, some of you parents out there, go, my kid loves veggies. Good, but then they're asking for veggies because they love them, not because they're good for them. You with me?
0: No one, no one, no kid comes to their parents and says, uh, "I would like dessert if it's your will."
1: Yes, or I would like to uh, some sorrow and suffering because it'll help me. Either way, we right. get to come to God and say what we want right now is this person's healing right now. We want the sorrow and suffering to come to an end because we know that sorrow and suffering on this planet is a result of sin. And so therefore in of itself, it is not good, but what you will do if you allow it to continue is you are using it for great good. So, I already know that, so I don't mind if it's not eliminated, but I'm gonna pray and ask for you to eliminate it because if it is eliminated, two things happen. One, I get to see somebody in the temporal calmed like some too good Advil to take away a headache. Now, if the headache is a symptom of something, you still wanna deal with that, but the two Advil are helpful. If the two Advil, Taking the headache away, keep you from noticing what's really going on. Then I, I then the Advil are my enemy. So I'm going to trust you with all that. If this comfort and convenience that would come yeah. would cause greater things to happen that are detrimental, yeah.
0: then obviously I don't want you to do it. But you're yeah. the doctor. I'm not. And that's when we pray. We acknowledge that God is sovereign yes. and we are not. Yeah. And we, he has all the dynamics and information yeah. that we don't so, have. So what so I gonna, want, we're going to ask, is
1: what I see. Right. This person is sick. You've said you can heal people. We've yeah. seen you do it at yeah. times. I'm going to ask for it. And right. you've said, if you, if you want something, come and ask me. So yeah. I'm going I'm to ask boldly. I'm going to ask with faith. And here's why I'm going to ask with faith. Not because, now pay close attention. Not because that's part of the formula. If I ask with enough faith, then God might in a good mood decide to do the healing. And wow. if I ask with too little faith, I kind of believe, but not really, then God's going to not heal because I didn't believe. There, that sentence, he didn't heal because I didn't believe, that is a bunch of baloney. Mm. That is not true. Here's why. Because my faith is a means of my participating in the kitchen, not a means of producing the waffle because God produces the, the redemption. God produces the healing. If I do believe, though, watch this, though. This is so amazing. This is what makes God so crazy cool, just like a parent in the kitchen with waffles. Right. If my son mixes the mix and he works hard at it, what do I get to say at the end? Buddy, well done. You did so well. So when Jesus looks at the woman and says, your faith has healed you, what he's doing is a gracious act of a benevolent, sovereign God who does everything on his own, saying to a human... Hey, FYI, you participated, you participated. Yeah. And, and, and you should be thrilled. It's the kid at the table going like this when dad says, uh, everybody, big hand for Renault. He helped make the waffles today. I, I sure did. That's when God says your faith has healed you. You participated. At times when a person didn't have faith, he doesn't go like this. You lucky I healed you because you didn't have any faith and I shouldn't have. But, you know, I'm in a gracious mood. He just healed them and then said, this is to demonstrate who I am. He is going to do what he does. But I get to pray as a participant in what he's doing with all of the faith I have and all of the boldness I have. Mm. So my prayer of faith is not a formula to produce a healing because I don't know enough about the future to know whether that's the best move anyway or not. It is actually an opportunity to participate Mm. in a potential healing or at the very least to have asked for something that the only reason God doesn't give is because he's up to this grand healing of the cancer problem. And if this is part of that, I'm in, and it's always a part of it on some level, because if this planet had zero symptoms, then we'd be that first 40 year old I told you about as a planet. And that would be devastating to the human race. But the fact of the matter is, we are this story, that God graciously allows sin to produce its death at times, not just physical death, but all the problems we have as humans, so that we would seek the the cure, Mm. Jesus. Mm. And he's actually bringing the cure. And this doctor both cures us and sometimes comforts our very temporal reality. So I'm always asking for the Advil, if you will. But I'm trusting when the doctor says, not the time for it now. It's actually going to be a detriment. Mm -hmm. Sorrow and suffering right now are companions that are necessary for the greater glory and the greater grace. And then here's where it ends. My faith isn't in a formula or, God forbid, in my own faith for God to, as a genie, produce what I want. It's in God's physician sovereignty over this story where I get to boldly ask for one thing and simultaneously trust for anything. Because he knows and I don't. If the healing occurs, here's what I want to be able to say. I was one of the folks that believed wholeheartedly and prayed hard. So I'm in the kitchen, folks. If it doesn't occur, I'm not going to say, I don't think I believed hard enough or prayed hard enough, that's why. I hear this all the time. You know, God's definitely going to heal this person because they have thousands of people praying for them versus another person that only has hundreds of people praying for them. So that's how God works now. The louder our collective voice the more God goes, fine, fine, if that many of you love this guy, well, then done. Yeah. Versus, oh, only seven people prayed for this guy. Right. Oh, well. Yeah. All these formulas, they're not in scripture and they're human made and they leave us devastated on the back end because we think somebody's life or death physically or healing or not or suffering or comfort is actually Up to us figuring out the formula to rub the lamp to get the genie to do what he wants. So when it's not done, it's not the genie's fault. It's my fault. It's their fault. And so we live in the double grief. And God is not good. And we are not free. And it's a terrible scenario. Versus this one. I prayed with all the faith I had. God did something else. I trust him fully. And on occasion that he does what I asked, I get to celebrate and go, I was in the kitchen. I participated. That's how we pray with faith, because in Scripture, we are given every reason to see multiple stories in multiple scenarios that God healed with faith, healed without faith, didn't heal with faith, didn't heal without faith.
0: Yeah, and the participation extends <coughs> even to the times where God doesn't do what we ask, because we still get the joy of coming to our We Father. still participated. We still participated. So one way or the other, we were in that kitchen. We were in the kitchen, and and the joy, you know, when when David says, um, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yeah. I will fear no evil because you're with me. You're yeah. on your staff. They comfort me. He didn't say, well, I, I celebrate because, you know, the moment I ask God to take me out of the valley of the shadow of death, he does. Yeah. Because, no, no sometimes he's going to walk through And he also didn't say,
1: God, please take me in the valley of shadow of death as often as you can. He said, whenever I'm in it. Right. Which I will be at times. Yeah. I will trust two things, that it is purposed, Despite that its original intent was just sin doing its work, it's now going to be redeemed into a purpose for my greater grace and glory. And while in it, while in it, I will not be abandoned by God. He will actually be in there with me. And I love that rod and staff illustration because the rod and the staff of a shepherd was sometimes used to discipline the sheep or to, or to manage the sheep. Mm-hmm. So we always think of rod and staff as kind of like that. I'm going to keep you in line in the middle of this. There's a time for that in the right. in the green fields. Yeah. But in the shadows at night, the staff wasn't used to discipline the sheep; it was used to fight the wolf. Right. So in that context, he's saying, in the valley of the shadow of death, when sorrow and suffering is that big, the wolves of untruths that will come your way, the thoughts, the feelings, the the shaking. Don't worry about all of that. He is bigger than that, and he will protect you in this space, regardless of how long this space may linger or what it may be. And the way he's going to protect you is not by disciplining you, keeping you in line. He will have his rod and staff to anything that might come at you and keep it at bay. So we walk in the valley of the shadow of death, feeling the fear of the darkness, but knowing that God is not only for us out there somewhere, but with us right here. Mm. So now what do I pray? God, take me from this valley as quickly as possible. Sure. Take me now if you can, because I don't like it here. Mm -hmm. While I'm here, if I linger here, then use this valley to show me the great and wonderful things that I will see nowhere else. Mm. So that we also abandon this other theological notion that says, the reason I'm suffering is because God has to teach me something. And until I learn it, he's going to keep, that's like a parent going, I'm going to keep you in the valley until you listen. I'm like, no, it's not that he does these things. Yes, It's not that he does these things to teach you something. It's that he's going to teach you things while you're in the valley, because that's how he redeems the valley.
0: Because we are in, we are on the planet of the valley Whew. of the shadow of yes. death. That we are yes. on planet death, and that you know, as much as you say that, it's so true. And when we are set free to not feel as though our prayers have said just right at just the right time with just the right tone, um, and as many of us. You know, praying in just the right ways, and we believe with faith and not doubt. Then we'll get the result that we have. If That's we're right. set free from that, yes. then it gives us the it gives us the freedom to come as children and just say, "God, yes. I don't have all the information, and I don't know what you're up to completely. But here's what I do know: this is really hard." Yeah. And if you could take it from me, man, yeah. that would be amazing. That'd be great. And I'm going to ask you with that, faith. I'm going to ask boldly. you With faith, boldly. So,
1: so that gives yeah. us the space, like yeah. you said, it doesn't actually change. Once, Once our theological clarity changes on this, it doesn't change how we come to prayer. If we were first coming with this bold faith, declaring it verbally because we believed it would be an, an impactor on whether God does what we want, when we discover it's not, typically we think we're going to swing the pendulum to, well, now I'm going to come and pray more like this. God, I don't know what your will is. So I'm not going to really ask for anything because I I really, and I I doubt lots of things. And so, oh, well, and maybe you'll heal and maybe you won't. We think we're so afraid that that's going to be a come out prayer. It's actually the exact opposite. I feel in some ways I come more boldly now than ever with faith to when I pray for things that seem impossible, like healings and stuff, I come in and I'm like, oh no, 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 watch this. I'm gonna come with the same vigor and zeal that any of my friends might come thinking their formula is gonna do it, but I'm free of the formula. So I come as a child, praying boldly with faith, because in the back of my head I'm thinking, man, I wanna be a participant in this story, what, wherever it goes, because isn't that my privilege? Yeah. And then wherever it goes, I don't grieve either my failure, because somehow I missed the boat, that's why God didn't, or kind of think to myself, God blew it on this one. No, I just go, thank goodness I have a physician that cares more about my eternal healing than my temporal comfort, Mm. and that at times will even allow the temporal discomfort that sin affects in his patient forbearance to continue for the sake not only of his rescuing of all of his people, but now also for the sake of my grace and glory. Mm. Wow. Bring on sorrow and suffering, bring on comfort and convenience. The gospel is equally beautiful in both and I will make it so.
0: Mm. Mm. So. It's good. There's a lot in, uh, in God's word about this subject. And uh, I love the way that James oh. kind of unpacks this. Um, he talks about, you know, if, if we lack, anything, come to God and ask him boldly. Right. Um, and, and then he says, you know, blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And I think at the end of the day, you know, that is the promise that we get to hold on to is that there is on the other side of this planet, on the other side of the sorrow, on the other side of the suffering, um, on the other side of the comfort, on the other side of the convenience, on the yep. other side of this, there is this full, rich reward that we get when we, when yes. we pass from one planet to the, to the new life that God has in us. And that is, that is Jesus, that, yeah. we, That's right. that we get him. And in that, that we have the opportunity to say, God, somehow, you know, by your incredible grace, uh, the sorrow and suffering that I did experience on that planet, you didn't waste it. I love yeah. that John Piper talks about that a lot. Yeah. Like not one ounce of our sorrow, not one ounce of our suffering is wasted. It's wasted, um, But it, it, as we endure, becomes the crown of life. That that's
1: right. Get. And it does not exist because God does it to us to teach us things. It exists because sin came into the world. Right. But now he redeems, he redeems it and it. doesn't waste it. And I think Whew. that that's the greatest paradigm shift. We constantly talk like God does these things to or... They're just random and we ask God to take them away. But there's this other third thing is they just happen because of sin, right. but God now makes them something they never were. It's beautiful. And that's beautiful. And that's yeah. how I now pray. I pray for them to go away because they're not good in of themselves. Yeah. But I trust God when they don't, that he's doing something so awesome, yeah. not just he's not uh, awake at the wheel. And in the end, you were right about this. Revelation 21, four, all of this stuff goes away. So we are all who are in Christ healed at some point. Right. We are all fully alive. Yep. We all have no suffering, no sorrow, no pain, no death, no disease, no nothing. That is the inevitable end of anyone who is in Christ. Mm. So that is our, it's, the cancer is gone once we're in Christ. But the journey on this planet, the residual of it, and its impact to get us clarity in the symptoms of that cancer linger on. And we ask God to calm them, but when he doesn't, we understand where we are and what's going on. So Mm. it's a start. There's more to unpack, but we're out of time for today. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks for being with us today, guys. It's going to be a great privilege to continue Having conversations like this and just saying, okay, life is life and yep. it's going to come at us. Some good, some bad, some ugly and everything in between. And uh, how does the gospel shape that? Yep. And what, what does the scripture teach us? And how do we believe that and live in that? And um,
1: when our friends are sick or we are sick, our friends are suffering or we are suffering. Like James said in chapter five, if, if you are sick, if you're suffering, come, come to the elders, come to God, come and pray, come and ask boldly. I mean, he even used an illustration there of stopping rain for three years and it stops. So he's like, come and pray with that kind of faith because you get to. Come trusting me, not a formula. Just come and pray like a three-year-old with all the faith in the world. So I would tell everyone, pray boldly, pray for healings, pray for things, pray by faith. Get in the kitchen, participate, but don't trust a formula because it will fail you. And when it does, you will be guilty and sad and full of shame or disappointed in a God you have no reason to be disappointed in. Trust in a God who is the grand physician and pray as a three-year-old to that God
0: and you will be safe. Hmm. That's good. All right. All right. Thanks, Joe. Until next time. Until next time.